in a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes can cost far more than dollars. One oil and gas sales expert, one HSE professional, and the greatest PPE provider on the planet must come together. Two men, one brand, one mission. Red Wings Oil and Gas HSE Podcast with Mark LaCour and Patrick Pister starts now. Hey, it's Mark LaCour, and this show is for everybody who has an interest in HSE in the oil and gas industry. Brought to you by Red Wing, the leaders in PPE, ensuring your people go home safe every day. Joining me today is my award-winning co-host, Patrick Pister. Did you write that? I, I must have. You wouldn't say anything that nice to me. Patrick, dude, it's been so long since we recorded together. How yeah, are you is, doing? It, is this thing on? I don't know how to work it anymore. <laughs> yeah, so if you don't know the story, audience, Patrick has moved. Uh, he's still in Texas. He's in San Antonio. And just in the process of us being busy, him being busy, the move and everything, we haven't recorded together in a while, but we're working on fixing that, aren't we? We are. We, we have a remote. Technology. Yeah, we're yeah. actually using technology that we talk about all the time. Yeah. Now, if we can actually, let's see if we can actually pull it off. Yeah. All right, so before we get any deeper, uh, if you want to support the show, do us a favor. Please, please, please leave us a review. We are literally the redheaded stepchild of the podcast game. We get no reviews. I know you're listening because I see you, and I know who you are. <laughs> so can you do me a favor? Take two minutes. Leave us an iTunes review. It's the number one way to support the show so we can keep this thing rolling. And, Patrick, we have some guests today, don't we? We do. We are in Houston, Texas, in the Ringer's Gloves office with Jim Wolf and Hall O'Donnell. Thanks for having us in today. Good to be here. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Mark. Thanks, Patrick. And uh, thanks to our friends at Red Wing for, for having us on. Yeah. So before we get in deeper in what uh, Ringer's doing right now, a little bit of your history. Jim, you've been in this industry for a year or two, haven't you? I have. I um, started uh, here in Houston uh, many moons ago uh, at, at Exxon, 1979, and my, my career path has been uh, – uh, Energy and Finance, Exxon, uh, Goldman Sachs, and, and AIG, all with uh, intersperse of uh, interspersing of energy and uh, and finance. Seventy nine. The world was totally different oil and gas in seventy nine. It was, and yeah. we had price controls in oil and gas at that time. And even things like safety was looked upon different. And we've come so far since then. We've done so much better. We moved that needle so much. It's awesome. And we're gonna get into that a little bit. But Hall, you've also been in this industry for a, year, a few a few years. Actually, a little, little greener than Jim, but I actually grew up in Houston and around the oil and gas industry. My mother worked in the oil and gas industry. She was uh, in the land department for an EMP, so sort of been uh, in and around it all my life. Really got more involved about six years ago as I, as I uh, got to know Ringer's Gloves and, and became involved in this company. So not quite as far back as 1979, <laughs> but, um, but I'm a quick study. Yeah, even I don't go back to 1979. I go back to the 80s, but not 1979. <laughs> Nothing against going back to 1979. So we're sitting here in your office, Ringer gloves. And we got a, we got a, some. I guess these are or actual the retail versions of your gloves out here. And it's interesting because I've known of Ringer for a long time because your gloves are very distinct when you see them with people's hands in the field. But there's much more than just pr- trying to protect people's hands in the field. Y'all literally take the safety component completely from from cradle to grave, don't y'all? We do. We go out, we observe the tasks being done on the rig or wherever it's being done. And the uh, and what we do is assess the needs, the perils, and we've developed gloves to fit the task uh, with a very 
a strong concentration on both uh, dexterity and protection. And you can have a protective glove that's not dexterous. If it's not dexterous, it will come off and the hand is unprotected. So we employ what's called um, F3 technology, fit, form, and function. And really every glove is designed for a specific task. Yeah, this is super powerful because if, if you've never worked out in the field, I would say the last, say, 10 years, maybe 15 years, gloves have, have been mandatory depending on what you're doing. The problem is, is when people source the gloves that don't do the work and the gloves may offer superior protection, but then you can't actually do the job. And so what does the guy do that has those gloves on? He takes them off. Exactly. And and that's a cultural thing that's caused by people buying, not buying the right gloves and not listening to the guys in the field. And y'all flip that around. Y'all go out in the field, y'all see what the job the guy's doing, and then y'all design a glove that gives him the most protection at the same time, he can still complete the job. Exactly. And that's that's really our heritage. And if you go back 22 years, we were started primarily as a mechanics. Our, our founder, Kenny Dolanek, was a big motorsports uh, supporter, and he spent his weekends at uh, NHRA, NASCAR, and motocross events, but realized both the competitors and the guys in the pit supporting the competitors didn't have the right uh, hand protection and the right gloves to do the jobs they needed to do. And so that is carried carried into our oil and gas gloves. And, uh, you know, we are most famous for our oil and gas gloves, but our, our gloves fit across a broad swath of uh, industries and functions. So before we go too deep, I want to. I think we need to draw a picture for our audience what we're talking about. These aren't the .NET gloves that everybody started working with. These are, and that's what I started working with. We didn't have impact resistant. It was you know, you had the dexterity, but for sure, because it's just cotton on it. But so these are, you know, can you describe the gloves a little bit? I don't, I don't want to get it wrong and tell you, you know, start naming materials that aren't in there, but these are, you know, high impact resistant gloves. Like you said fit for duty and, and beefy. They, I mean, they're just strong gloves. Yeah, Patrick. So, I mean, these, there's really a lot of technology that goes into them. These are highly engineered products. I mean, if you look at our Roughneck 267, which is one of our flagship products, one of the real first fit for purpose oil and gas gloves for really four roughnecks for the rig floor. There's 82 separate components that go into that glove. And each one of those components are specifically designed, specifically cut, specifically engineered to maximize the protective performance, but also dexterity and fit. And then, you know, each one of those specific components is comprised of performance materials that are there, again, with a specific purpose to protect from either a cut hazard or, you know, a, a, the glove to be more durable so it doesn't tear or fall apart. So you get the return on your investment if you're the person buying the glove. Or if you look at the impact protection on the back of the glove, so it kind of almost looks like a, a sports glove or a hockey glove. There's there's thermoplastic uh, uh, rubber that's protecting, you know, each bone, whether it's your fingers, your metacarpals, your back of hand. I mean, there's really a lot of technology and uh, that goes into every single glove and, and why we make them the way we make them. I thought I had seven parts. I got a front, a back, and five fingers. And that's <laughs> like... <laughs> yeah. So when you start think you mentioned something I think was is actually kind of vital that a lot of people may miss. Talk about return on investment. So when you, you equip your work crews with the right gloves, not only does it protect them, but it also lasts longer, right? So they're not using a glove that's built too delicately, right, to do the job that they tear up and go through four pairs and, you know, in one shift. At the same time, they're not accidentally losing, I'm doing air quotes, the glove that doesn't work, right, because they can't actually put their hand on the wrench. So by by purposely building the gloves for the job, you're actually 
increase in the life of the glove, aren't you? That's exactly right. So, I mean, we like to look at indirect costs and direct costs of the ownership of our of our product. So we're getting, you know, with each passing day, better data as we partner with, with participants in industry and understanding exactly how they're using our products. But, you know, we, we can, if we equip workers with the right gloves the first time around, we can generally show that we're going to deliver direct cost savings to the employer because that glove is specifically engineered for that task. And as such, it will stand up and it will last longer than a glove that's not engineered for that task. So that's on the direct cost savings. And then on the indirect cost savings from the employer perspective, there's obviously you know, a dramatic cost beyond the human cost, dramatic financial costs associated with a, a reportable or lost time incident, whether it's, you know, the, the, the cost of the care for the worker or workers' compensation or increased insurance costs. So there's a lot of indirect costs associated with wearing the wrong PPE as well that we try to mitigate. And well, I'm looking at some understand. of the stats on your website. The average cost of a, fra- a hand fracture, $106,000. That's, I mean, and you've got in here, we have 70% of the 70% of hand injuries are caused from not wearing gloves. 30% is wearing the wrong glove. So putting the right piece of equipment on is, is key. But what does that actually mean? I, I can see the difference between the dot knit versus yours, but there's got to be different levels in between. So how do you decide what is, I see people wearing impact resistant gloves offshore and I don't see them switching when they change jobs. So how do you really identify the, the characteristics that you need to go into it? Well, I mean, it really starts with our with our sales force. They're all they're all uh, safety specialists, and they go on on site as we discussed, and they go and look at the very specific hazards. I mean, we have over 150 different styles of gloves. You know, basically any flavor you can possibly imagine for all the different potential hazards that you're facing. And you know, if we're just in the business of selling gloves, our our customer relationships aren't going to last very long. We're really in the business of providing a safety solution to people. And so when we do that and we take that mentality and we provide the right glove for the right task, you know, we will deliver a savings and, you know, and that's proven time and time again. And that's why we have the customer loyalty, both at the worker level, but also the employer, whether it's an HSE professional or a procurement professional coming back to us. And that's the commitment we make. I want to kind of loop back there because once again, you said something very subtle. I think it was really cool. So you're not a vendor. Companies don't buy gloves from you. If a company out there needs some help, hey, we've got this new job site, we have this new equipment, whatever, your specialist will go out there and evaluate on the site in real time which ones of your your toolbox of gloves is the right one for that job for that crew, right? So you actually help your customer make sure they make the right choices. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there's no strings attached. We do that as a service, a value-added service to our, to our customers. I mean, we can make all those site assessments, help them find what we think is the right solution, and, you know, they can take that information and go buy a competitor's glove. And that's, that's fine with us as long as they're protecting their workers. Obviously, we want them to be, you know, ideally buying the glove from us, but you know, there's no, I love this. So this is something that, so I'm not an HSE person, although I've been in the industry forever. So I've touched HC a lot, but it's one of the things that's changed recently that I love is we're changing the way we think about things like safety for our people. So you said it perfectly. You'll do the work to make sure people get safe. Even if they buy our competitors gloves, that's how we need to be thinking about things in our industry. And it's so cool to hear that coming out of your mouth because that is the right way to think about stuff. And, and if you look at our, our base roughneck line, you know, the, the perils that are faced in upstream oil and gas are similar. You have crush potential, protect the back of the hand. You have cut potential, protect the palm of the hand. But if you think of the environments, the physical environments where these guys work, it can be wet, 
It can be really cold. It can be really hot. You, you may need a barrier to, to keep the hand dry. You may need insulation. And so, and you may need various grips. So we've, you know, we've modeled, um, we've taken that base roughneck and, and adapted it for all operating environments. So that brings up another good point. So our industry is global, right? So an operator may be operating in West Texas, may be operating in the Arctic, may be operating in Africa, may be operating in South Louisiana somewhere off the coast of Norway. And so do you all have global reach if somebody needs that type of level of support? Yes? So, yeah, we do. Something we're really proud of, something we've worked really hard at over the last decade or so. We recognize that we have global customers. In order to provide them a solution, we need to be able to provide them our products globally. So we have uh, local distribution partners in over 65 countries. If we're not in this, that 66th country, we'll figure out how to get it to you. So no, that's something that we've worked hard at. We've got five distribution centers all over the world, in United States, Canada, Australia, China, UAE and Europe. So it's been an investment on our part, but we, again, you know, want to be the right partner for the, our global client base. And in order to do that, we have to, we have to make that investment. And, and I would say we've worked very closely with Red Wing in a number of uh, geographies across the globe. And uh, it's been a very successful partnership. They have a very similar product. Um, they have a, a premium, highly protective uh, footwear and garment business and our product which is a uh, you know a premium hand product highly protective and highly cost effective it fits well within the the red wing arsenal and so we've had a lot of good success working with the, the red wing team across the globe yeah so have we well, yeah, yeah. And, and just being offshore you know when you got your red wing boots you you love them and when we first started getting your gloves offshore you rat hold as many as you could. You didn't know when the next shipment was coming in. But the guys that are using this equipment, they love it. They, they, like I said, you're you're hiding as much as you can. You know, when they, now it, the the industry's changed, and now it's it's become standard. But how has been how has the adoption been overseas? Uh, you know, some African operations are less inclined to spend more money on protective equipment, or if there's a cheaper alternative that looks the same, we'll we'll go with that. And to be honest, I've seen a lot of similar impact resistant gloves that were used for way too long and the impact resistant is just peeled off you can see the outline of where it used to be but guys are using them for weight and again that yep. was when i was working overseas so how has the adoption been and how do you have that conversation when you look at your gloves versus a competitors that you know less durable less lower quality but is slightly cheaper on the price point sure you know i i would say there's a few different elements to to the international story i mean i think if the client is coming from or is headquartered in a d jurisdiction that has a high safety culture, so it's an American company, European company operating in Africa, Middle East, conversation's much, much easier. For local companies, it has been a bit of a slog to try to convince them to make the investment to protect their people, although those conversations are advancing and we like to be part of those conversations and helping demonstrate to local employers what the value is of protecting their workforces. In terms of cheap PPE or counterfeit PPE, that's also a problem. I mean, we've spent a long time in the marketplace developing what we think is the right product set and the right 
level of consistent level of quality such that we really do have what's now become a global brand. And when you have a global brand, you have people trying to imitate you. And we have a lot of, you know, I, I'm not going to lie, we've seen a lot of cheap imitation products coming out of East Asia going into some of the markets in which we participate. But, you know, there's no guarantee that those companies and those manufacturers are using the right performance materials, as we said at the outset, you know, we spend a ton of time making sure that our products meet a consistent quality standard, that our products are using the exact right materials for the right tasks, that they're designed appropriately, that they're constructed appropriately, such that, you know, we, we're proud to put our name against it. But, you know, for a cheap competitor or an imitation, imitation glove that might have our logo on it, you know, there's no guarantee that that counterfeiter has made the same investment. So that's also a problem. But, you know, it's, so you're uh, not seeing just imitators. People are actually counterfeiting the gloves and, and, and passing them off as ringers. Yeah, we do see that in some markets. So in, when, we were in, when I was working in Africa, we had a problem with uh, Chinese shackles, Crosby shackles. And we, we on the rig, you had a, a diagram how to tell what the uh, counterfeits look like. But uh, I wouldn't think they – I mean, I guess they counterfeit anything. <laughs> yeah, so now that's another question, though, right? So as, as part of servicing your clients, I guess you also have to help them identify when there might be counterfeits out there because you don't want a counterfeit glove on somebody's hand because you have no idea how it was designed. No, well, that's exactly right. I mean, of course, there's a financial ramifications for us as a company. But beyond that, what I worry about more is our reputation, which is we've worked for, as a company, 22 years to develop the reputation to be – the leading or a leading supplier of, of really what we think is the best hand PPE in the market and to have, you know, cheaply constructed counterfeit gloves out there with our logo on them. I mean, that's what I worry about. So yeah, we spend a lot of time educating our clients and saying, here's how you can tell the difference. We're also incorporating new technology into our gloves. We have these very special new labels that we put in the gloves that have uh, holograms on them and some other features that make it very hard to counterfeit. So we're educating our clients, you know, as and when appropriate about, you know, if it doesn't have this tag on it, it's a fake glove and you should call us or it might be a fake glove and you should call us. So is that a darn shame you have to worry about counterfeit PPE? I mean, it's just, that's almost, and, and I get it, right? I get there's a different culture, especially in China. And I realize people are using it to make money, but at some point you think you were just you know, common morals would step in and go, I'm not going to put somebody's hand in no, danger that, for 17 cents. Mark, that's right. I mean, it's pretty low. You know, it's pretty low to think that people are are trying to make a buck off of, of knocking some product off that could put people, you know, in harm's way. I mean, these are already very uh, oftentimes hazardous tasks that people are doing for a living for themselves and their families and then further endangering people by, by uh, you know, providing them with, you know, what could be faulty PPEs, you know, it's scary and it's, it is scary. It's, um, you know, we talked a little little bit before we turned the microphone about our, we brought the podcast to this past OTC and I can't remember the guy we had on from Africa, but he was telling a very interesting story in the fact that, and he's one of Red Wings distributors out there. It told a great story about how, when he moved out there, there were people working on the rigs with no shoes. And to try to get them to put boots on to them, it felt unsafe because they spent their whole life with no shoes on. And the moment you put boots on them, then they felt like they couldn't balance correctly or walk correctly. So it, it took them years to get them to understand that the boots are required. So I can imagine that that same maturity scale probably happens to all PPE, including gloves, which do y'all have, does that mean y'all have now have an education component of y'all's business? Sure. I mean, again, so. You, know, you you had talked about how when you came into the industry, it was cotton dot gloves was kind of the norm. I mean, we still see that. I mean, we still see that in the U.S. I mean, there are still some either service companies a or, lot of or drillers out, out in the Permian who are using cotton dot gloves. I mean, I 
you know, obviously I'm biased because I'm in the glove business, but I don't, <laughs> but you know, I look at that and I think that's crazy, you know, so there's definitely an education component to what we do. It's not just educating workers, but it's also educating HSE professionals, uh, business leaders to help them understand that you might think you're saving money. You're probably not actually saving money. And it's also educating the clients of those service companies to understand, Hey, look, do you really want your contractors who are doing work for you? putting their workers in harm's way. So, and, and, you know, it's a, it's a cultural change, I have to say. So it, I'll, I'll tell you, I had to adapt. The one thing that I still have a problem with your gloves is those cotton dots, man, you could slide down handrails. So easy. <laughs> <laughs> you can with these though. And so when I made the switch, I had to start actually walking down the stairs. <laughs> the I can't believe you just did that. On a microphone. <laughs> Dude. So, so, so now, now the question in my head is your supply chain must be extremely robust. So not only are you manufacturing all these different gloves, you have all these different components that come in and you have a global distribution network and you have to educate people and you have to watch out for counterfeits, you know, and you have to be able to supply whatever the right glove is anywhere in the world. Your supply chain must be very robust. Yes. <laughs> yes. 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 No. Yes. Look. We have a small team, but we keep them busy. I mean, there's a lot of challenges and, you know, that doesn't even go into always thinking about the next thing. So, I mean, we keep our supply chain busy with that too. What are the new materials that are coming out? What are new things that those materials can allow us to do from a design perspective to improve performance? Yeah, I would say, you know, we deal with technology companies. Oilfield is very technologically savvy and our gloves are high technology but one of the things that our clients also demand is having the gloves where they want them when they want them at the right price so just in time delivery well or or, or 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 even before just in time so we work very hard when you're you know supplying some very demanding customers in 65 countries across the globe we work very hard to make sure that they're not running short of ringers gloves yeah, jim that's a good point so if i back up and think about this y'all really aren't a glove company Y'all are a technology company, right? Y'all, you're a technology company that makes gloves. That's right. Yeah, because you that means you also probably have a research and development group, right? Somebody has to be looking at new processes, new materials, new manufacturing sites. Right? So for this decade, it might be cheaper to manufacture here, and this decade might be cheaper to manufacture that, here. That is, that is a daily process. Hall actually heads up that arena. But that is something that we focus on a daily basis and daily looking out years into the future. And you know, we, we have – a team here that is very savvy. A number of them came from um, the athletic world. That makes um, sense, yeah. Where uh, where performance is key, uh, comfort is key, and so you know we we take you know we we observe everything that's going on in the industry, our industry as well as related industries, and we uh, we we incorporate the latest technology. So we were talking about supply chain on your side, but you said you have 150 different styles of gloves. How do your customers? manage their supply chain and and how many styles do do they typically carry i'm sure they don't have all 150 in their storeroom ready to be taken out at any one time yeah no that's exactly right that's part of the process of really evaluating the the tasks that the specific clients workers are doing in each day so we'll go and we'll do a site assessment and there might be you know 10 different tasks with four different hazards that these guys each guy face or gal faces and so we come back and we say all right you know, of our 150, we think that these four are the most appropriate for you. These people on the shop floor, these per- people on a on a on a frack crew. I mean, these. I mean, and we just look at each specific task and each specific job and really make a recommendation based upon that. And 
So that, that's how we look at it. Because obviously, you know, we want to simplify that job for, for our clients. I mean, for them to have to stock 150 different gloves, and that's just our gloves, that's a tremendous task. I mean, we go to some of our global oil field customers, and, you know, in recent last couple months, we've heard, well, name names, but one big oil field manufacturer tell us that they have, they went back and looked over the last year, they've purchased 8,000 different SKUs of gloves with over 100 manufacturers. Wow. I mean, that's, that's just, huge. that's completely unreasonable. And yeah. so, and that's a trend we keep hearing over and over again, which is that people want to standardize, you know, assuming they can find the right solution for their for their folks, they want to standardize, they want to simplify their supply chain, and it's perfectly, perfectly understandable. And from our perspective, you know, because we do think we can deliver cost savings and we know we can deliver performance and we're a global company, you know, we think that Obviously, we're biased, but we think we're the right choice for, for, for a lot of global companies. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. So now I'm realizing y'all are really looking both ways. So you're looking behind you and trying to drive efficiencies in your own manufacturing process and quality control, right? But you also have to be looking in the future, like what's coming. Like the new thing now is drones, right? So a lot of uh, companies are using drones to spec pipelines and platforms and everything. It's not inconceivable that somewhere in the future, y'all might build gloves for drone pilots, right? I mean, but that's something that doesn't exist right now. But somewhere y'all might have a need for that. No, that's, that's a good point. How often do y'all come up with a, a new glove? Is it just whenever there's a need arises or you have a schedule that we want to come out with a new product every six months or a year? No, I would say it's more organic than that. You know, so right now I was just looking at we have 28 different gloves in some phase of development. So not all of them wow. will be commercialized. Not all of them will go to market. But um, we've had 28 that we're working on. And, you know, going back to the concept of being a technology company and having our own in-house R&D department, while we do have an in-house R&D department, I think culturally we try to convey to the team that everyone's part of the R&D department. So what does that mean? It means when our uh, safety specialists, when our sales folks are out in the field talking to customers, you know, they're identifying on a daily basis maybe something that we haven't solved for in terms of hand protection. And they're bringing that feedback back to us in Houston saying, hey, have we tried this? Have we looked at this? I've been talking to XYZ customer, and this is an issue that they're facing. And wouldn't it be great if we could figure this out for them? And that's really where the R&D process actually starts from us, is really hearing from the customers, you know, what are they worried about? What are the challenges they're facing from a safety perspective? Internalizing that, seeing what we can do with the latest materials and design, you know, of course, first we look and see if we have something off the shelf because we already do have 150 styles, but, you know, sometimes we don't. And when that happens, that goes into the, into the R&D bucket and we put it in, in the development pipeline. And so, we, like I said, we got about 28 of those work, we're working on we, right now. And we, we, we also have, uh, you know, so we have boots on the ground you know, watching guys on the rigs, but we also have links to the corporate HSE staff. We, we have an active dialogue there, and that gives us additional insight because – these are the people that see all of the injuries that are happening. And typically, for the industries that we serve, in upstream oil and gas in particular, hand injuries are the number one cause of lost time incidents. And so, very focused on hand injuries. The other thing that, that we see is in the, in the PPE world, for upstream oil and gas, it's also the, the largest spend. Gloves are the largest spend in, in on PPE, of any category of PPE. So we, we have that focus both at the field level and the corporate level. And obviously the, the guys at the corporate level are also much more focused. Or they are very focused on, on safety, but also focused on economics. 
And, and so we, we try to put all those pieces together, which is design, safety, dexterity, economics, in addition to the, uh, the delivery of where you want them, when you want them. So that's, that's, the, um, that's the goal, putting all those pieces together. Man, I love this. So this is I, – I work with a lot of big companies. I've done it for a long time. And one of the things that I hate to see is when the research and development team is siloed from the people in the field. So these poor guys are smart. And they have budget and they're trying to do work and nobody tells them what's needed in the field. So they, they take stabs at it. But having the frontline people that kind of proof of concept model where your client comes to you and goes, hey, we have this new pump and we're starting to see an increase in hand injuries. And you actually can come in with the, the technology background and go, we can design something to fit this need if it makes business sense for everybody. Yeah, where, that is where really cool. And where do you all primarily sell into it? Mark and I had this conversation months and months ago about are you selling to HSE? Are you selling to operations? Are you selling to supply chain? Because when we were at the bottom of the crash, supply chain, they had all the control. They were going out and they were cutting prices. And I was on the other end of the table when y'all were selling into a company I used to work for. And I got to see that. That So where are you at now? Is it is it the guys using the equipment? Is that the buy-in you want? Is it it's the HSE department or is it still supply chain? The short answer is yes. You have you have to keep you have to keep all those people happy. It's conversation amongst all of them. And I would add now, you know, a little bit newer development. There's an HR component to it too, which is as the labor markets tightened up again and upstream oil and gas, and you know, it's getting more expensive and harder to retain people. There's an HR component to employee retention, which is are you getting people. PPE they like, or you getting them, you know, crappy PPE. Yep. That's so, actually not the first time I've heard that. So that seems to be a trend too. <clears throat> yeah. I've heard it too. So, but to answer directly, yeah, no, you have to, you know, the safety people are looking, you know, there's specific things that they're looking for operations people. They're looking for specific things. you know, do my guys like wearing the gloves? You know, do they, are they getting too sweaty? Are they taking them off or, you know, are they falling apart? Those types of questions. The safety people are looking at the safety specs to make sure that they meet the mandated specs and kind of what value we're bringing in addition to just the product because you have to bring value these days beyond just the product. And then the procurement people are looking at the, you know, first they're looking at the price and what we're trying to help people understand is not just the price, it's the cost of ownership. So is the glo- if the glove lasts longer, you can't compare it apples to apples with a glove that falls apart yep. on day one. So, you know, it's a conversation with all the important constituencies and and that's where that's where we need to be in order for us to be successful. But ultimately, that's where our, our, you know the conversations that need to be had for our clients to be successful in meeting their safety objectives. So, uh, Jim and Hall, you see that bag over there? Right, it's actually two of them. It's never two of them in the room. There's a dirty one and a clean one. Yeah. Guess which one mine is. <laughs> that's the Red Wing Offshore bag. It has become a cult item. If y'all would like to enter, if anybody at Ringer would like to enter, if anybody listening to the podcast who better leave us a review would like to enter, it's really simple. You go to redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. That's redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. Enter your information. We give away one lucky winner a week. I got to ask y'all to something. Okay. It's time for the Red Wing safety tip of the week. Do you have a safety tip for our audience? They're pointing at each other. <laughs> <laughs> well, we we actually have a um, we have a card, and um, and you know, these these cards can actually be uh, attached to guys' lanyards and uh, and their key passes. But uh, we have uh, 10, 10 tips for uh, hand safety, and just so that these guys are reminded every single day, and these are prominent in break rooms and lunch rooms, et cetera. But I would say of the 10, there's, um, there's, there's probably uh, two that would stand out to me. Uh, one is that they, they should identify and understand the risks, essentially the perils associated with their job, and uh, make sure they have the proper gloves for the task. 
Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. You know, you spoke earlier about automotive. I'm an old car guy, right? So I've been involved in cars my whole life. I made a mistake one time, and only one time, of wearing gloves and unbolting the, the bolts that hold a pair of headers to a, a head. And then I took my gloves off and I grabbed the header. Never again. <laughs> Never again. <laughs> and if the audience, you have no idea what I'm talking about. I burned the bejeebies out of yeah. myself, right? So, oh, but situational awareness is something we've had. It's a reoccurring theme yeah. on the show. Just being aware of what you're doing and what the potential consequences are of the simplest task. Whether you're sweeping the stairs, could you fall, trip, whatever it is. No, that's right. I mean, we've talked a lot about gloves, but you know, the PPE is the last line of defense. I mean, the first line of defense is obviously being aware of where you are, what the hazards are, and so I mean, that's what we tell our people, and that's what our t- our people tell tell our clients. So. Yeah, be aware, use your head, don't fall in a rut. We're all guilty of that. Well, I was talking with, with some of the other staff before that they say and when somebody has an incident, a hand in- incident, or their rates are high, they call you because they need new gloves. And just like you said, that's the last line of defense. They really need to look at their policies, procedures, and the safety culture. Those gloves are there to, when you've already made the mistake, they're there to, to help you out. But, yeah, you really need to wor- wor- worry about your processes before you worry about the gloves. Yeah, that's good advice, Patrick. So we talked a little bit about the Red Wing giveaway. It's... If you're listening to the show and you like the show, do me a favor. Give me your email address. Come to the uh, oilandgashsc.com. Uh, we don't spam you. This way you can find out about what we're doing next. Speaking of what we're doing next, Patrick, you know we have a new podcast coming out? We do. They've already got a few episodes in the bag, right? Well, you're talking about the other new one. Oh, well. I'm talking about the Permian Perspective. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah. The Permian, yeah. So big shout out out there to uh, Baker Hughes GE for being our partner on that show. We're hustling to get that one up. That's going to be a fascinating show. So in case you couldn't tell, we've got a few shows coming out. Yeah, we also have Startups, which did a soft launch because we had a little bit of issues with our website, and they're still working on that. So that one will be out probably completely by next week. And we got three or four more coming out this year. So stay tuned, audience. If you want to learn about that stuff and more, join our LinkedIn group. It's really simple. Go to LinkedIn. It's OGG. In. Hats off to Microsoft. They're doing some changes and the, the functionality and the usefulness of LinkedIn is getting better. They still have some room to go. But like I said, events, we have our own happy hour that we do the last Tuesday of every month. Now, yes, I do realize that we just did it October 2nd, which is not the last <laughs> Tuesday. That's because we move venues. But go sign up. Go to allandgasglobalnetwork.com. There's an events page. You can see what we're doing. The happy hour sellout every month. The money goes to charity. It's only 10 bucks, and you get to mingle with your peers in the industry. And where did we move to? And we moved to... Can I get the name right? The Cannon. The Cannon. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're still working on them to make sure this is a permanent home, but I knock on wood, I'm pretty sure it's a permanent home. Love those guys out there. They do uh, great work. If you're in the co-working space, if you need co-working space, uh, go check them out. They're getting ready to have a massive expansion, and they're just a good group of people. Talk about the happy hour. If you'd like to learn about that event and more, we have a newsletter. Uh, it's easy. Go to show notes, click on the link, and uh, you can sign up. We get put all the oil and gas events in your inbox once a month. Never spam you. And then, Jim and Hall, thank you so much for coming on the show. This is fascinating. You know what's interesting about this? It's um, I'm always fascinated when I get to see behind the curtain of a business I don't know. So before, uh, gloves were gloves. I knew they were different gloves, but I never in a million years thought about the culture that has to go behind it, the technology it has to go behind it, and the business acronym. So y'all not only know the industry because you come from the industry, but now you have to understand things like local content, cost of capital, right? All that sort of stuff. So there's a lot of stuff on your plate. I'm going to tell you this much. I own a couple pairs of your gloves. They're great, right? And, and audience, you know, I don't give kudos unless it's meant to be kudos. If you're a company out there and you're looking to protect your people's hands, reach out to these guys, right? And like, like they talked about, like Hall talked about, they'll come out and help you figure out what's the right uh, PPE for your job, whether you buy from them or not. And I, I just think that's super awesome. So big kudos for y'all for doing that. 
Yeah. And our, our own our own Colin has been out in the field using Ringer's glove. And I, Colin, if you're listening, please put on a hard hat and safety glasses too. But uh, <laughs> so I don't know if that's a I don't know if we should like punish Colin somehow or if that's he needs a credit. To be, he needs the to only be public. PPE he has on is y'all's gloves. Yeah. <laughs> Him and Jake have a small operating company, and and I am sure that video is was caught just this one time he didn't have his hard hat. Just the one time because I'm sure yeah. the rest of the time he's fully PPE up. I, I know he is. <laughs> So we talked about all this sort of stuff. If people want to learn more about Ringer Gloves, where should they go? So websites, www.ringersgloves with an S, ringersgloves.com. We're also going to be exhibiting in a couple weeks at the National Safety Congress, which is here in Houston. That's at the George R. Brown, October 22nd to 25th, I think. Booth 1701 will be set up there. If you want some guest passes, we'll be happy to host you. Just uh, sign up on our website. Again, uh, ringersgloves.com. That's awesome. Yeah, ha- you're guest passes. Yeah, no, no. Happy to host, host you and come by and say hi to us, please. Yeah, so if you grab some passes, go say hi to them. Good people, a company doing great work, and they're fun to talk to. So, Patrick, we're anything else we need to go around? I think oh, that- no, one more thing. If people want to find out about y'all personally, I'm guessing LinkedIn? LinkedIn's probably the best, yeah. best spot. Home address? It's uh... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so – no, don't do that. So, <laughs> folks, go back to the show notes. So if you're if you're listening to this on a mobile, just swipe left in whatever podcast player choice you use. Or right. I don't know how it works in the Android world. And you, the show notes will be there. You can actually click on the li- links there. And if not, you can go to allgueshsne.com. Patrick, I've actually had somebody come to me and, and ask for the links. And I thought we did a good job explaining that they're there. Yeah. 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 So they are there. You just have to go find them. All right, so Jim and Hall, thanks so much. This was awesome. We're going Absolutely. to come back and revisit with y'all because this is a fascinating subject, and y'all doing really cool stuff. And the fact that y'all partner with Red Wing means that you're like cousins. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You ready to get out of here? Yeah, let's do it. All right, folks, don't be afraid to give up the good to go for the great. Y'all be safe out there. Tune in next week for another exciting episode of Red Wings Oil and Gas HSC Podcast, a production of the Global Oil and Gas Network. Learn more from Mark LaCour at modalpoint.com. Connect with Patrick Pister at leanoilfield.com. From Houston to London to Dubai and beyond. All right, Jim or Hall, one of y'all. What's the craziest thing you've seen in the field or in the office? Oh, you're looking at me? Okay, great. Well, I mean, again, I'd, I'd have to go back to go back to gloves. I mean, I don't know how crazy it is, but, you know, for us, it's really when we see people that are wearing, you know, still wearing the cotton dock gloves. I mean, I just think that's crazy, knowing what we know now. I mean, you see a guy working on a rig floor in, in the Permian uh, wearing effectively garden gloves. I mean, it's just asking for trouble. It kind of makes me cringe. So I, I, I don't know if that's I'm the craziest. Right, I'm right there with you. <laughs> I literally have different gloves when I used to actually cut my grass or don't do anymore. I had different gloves for trimming the hedges than I did for the lawnmower because I needed a totally different thing, right? And when I go out in the field, we just came back from Midland a couple of weeks ago, and you still see those dot gloves everywhere out there, and those just need to go away. No, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, one other one, similar shop floor inspecting, really hands-on inspecting uh, a drill bit with medical latex gloves on. <laughs> <Jeez>. hey, <laughs> <man>. <laughs>